Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 18. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let's pray. Father, we have just sung, unless the Lord builds the house, we, we labor in vain. Who build it? Father, this is your house. We are your house. And Lord, unless you build us and strengthen us and establish us, we labor in vain. But you have promised to build your church, to build your house. And so we look to you now in confidence with full assurance that your grace is coming even as we open your word now. Build us together, O oh Lord, I pray. Through Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For the next three weeks, we're going to be interrupting our series in Matthew uh, to speak into a need which we believe exists within our church, within Risen Hope and our life together. It's a three-part series called A Culture of Community. A Culture of community. We are very much aware that due to a number of things, including our church plant just three years ago, which relocated many of us from our existing community, and due to significant growth here in Drexel Hill and to various location changes we have had, and to the fact that God in His kindness has brought into our number great and wonderful diversity as a body, we realize that there are people who are feeling disconnected. That there are people who are feeling like they're not sure all that's going on. We know that there are new folks among us who have come from other contexts and cultures where community is done differently. We know that some, therefore, are not quite sure where they fit. 
If you add into that the fact that in just the past few weeks we have created a couple of new community groups and that has meant that some people have shifted from one group to another, uh, there is further sense of disconnect and perhaps even isolation, people not sure where they belong. If you think about all of those things and then on top of that, you think about the fact that we are in the middle of an election season and not too far off is a presidential election season. And if you begin to think about the implications of that for a congregation such as our own where there is so great diversity with people who think so very differently, brothers, sisters, if we are not ready for it all, and if we are not sealed with a bond of love into a culture of Christ-honoring community by the love and power of Christ in us, the outcome, if we are not sealed with the bond of love, the outcome will be grief. The outcome, due to all these stresses and strains, will be a, a dividing of our life together. These are things that matter. These are things we believe that create stress and strain and even threat to our unity. And so we are convinced that we need to take some time, think carefully, think deeply, think together in terms of what does it mean to live life in community as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm aware that as we do this, we will find that there are certain aspects of this that we crave, that we long for. In fact, I'm convinced that every human being craves community. But what we don't crave is the process to get there. It's like our youngest son back in the day in New Jersey. We were having one of those tree-snapping, house-shaking storms. And as a family, we were standing just looking outside, seeing tree limbs blow down, and, and uh, we were all a little bit nervous in the moment, but our five-year-old was especially nervous, and we tried to comfort our young son and say things like, hey, son, the Lord has us in His hands, and he, he is caring for us, and He will protect us, and, and, and think about it, David, even if the worst thing happens, we go home to be with Jesus. And he said, I'm not worried about death, I just don't want it to hurt. We all aspire for something higher. We aspire for community. We aspire, but we don't want it to hurt. We don't want it to cost something. And I'm here to tell you that true community as defined and described in the Holy Word of God is a call to sacrifice. It is a call to great commitment. But we're not afraid to call you to it. We believe as pastors, as elders, God has so worked in your hearts and in our hearts that we are going to have grace to commit to this even if it unsettles our way of life, even if it entails very much real and uncomfortable sacrifice. We are not afraid to call you to it because we believe that God is up to something good. 
And we believe that sometimes what is needed in churches is that we are called to that which takes great sacrifice. We've, we've learned a lesson uh, that David Wells says many churches seldom learn. He writes, many churches have not learned the lessons that most parents stumble on sooner or later. Is it going up there? There we go. Churches imagine that the less they ask or expect of believers, the more popular they will become and the more contented the worshipers will be. The reverse is true. Those who ask little find that the little they ask is resented or resisted. Those who ask much find that they are given much and strengthened by the giving. For it is only, listen to this, it is only as lives begin to intersect in sacrificial ways that the church starts to develop its own internal culture. And it is only in this context that the reality of God will both weigh heavily on the church and be preserved in its life. It is, it is only as lives intersect in sacrificial ways that the church starts to develop its own internal culture. Our Lord and Savior, brothers and sisters, our Lord, our Savior, our King, asks and expects much from us. Much from us. Indeed, He tells us to take up our cross daily. And He calls us to make sure that our lives intersect in sacrificial ways. So that by His grace and by His strength, here at Risen Hope Church, we can, we can develop our own internal culture in which the reality of God can weigh heavily with weight, glorious, holy weight upon us and can rest happily upon our hearts. It is as our lives intersect in sacrificial ways and in community that God shows up. God joins us. Now all of that said, as the text was read by our brother just a few minutes ago, I wonder if you felt what I felt. When I hear Romans 12 read, I do not feel heaviness, I feel inspiration. I feel a sense of uplift and release. To me, these imperatives, and there's one right after another, these imperatives don't feel like imperatives. They, they feel like invitations. It, it feels to me that Paul, in his presenting of a call to culture of community in Christian love, is something like if you've ever seen those videos where there's an artist, there's a painter, and there's a blank canvas, and then he picks up his brush and he picks up his palette and he starts to paint. And with every stroke, one stroke after another, you begin to see the, the image and the picture and the masterpiece kind of develop before your eyes. Romans 12 is like that for, for me as I read it. It's like this masterpiece of a community of love. Paul takes out his brush and he says, Love sincerely. Love with deep family affection. Let everyone be an equal, associating with the lowliest and honoring all. 
Make the needs of others your needs, and then make sure to meet them. Open your heart and your home in hospitality. Don't think that you have all the answers. Pray for God's blessing on those who wrong you. Feel others' sorrows with shared tears, and then clap in cheerful joy when others get blessed. Despite all your differences, live in harmonious peace with everyone. Be dependable in your service, peaceable in your spirit, honorable before everyone. And when wrongs happen, overcome them with good. Do you feel it? To me, that's glorious. Not a set of heavy imperatives, it's a glorious invitation into a life of community together as the people of God. An invitation and a community life that we want to take the time to proclaim over these next three messages. Here's here's a summary. Here's a summary of what we're going to hear. If we have been called into the security of God's love through the gospel, then we are also called into the community of that love as a way of life. If if we have been called into the security of God's love through the gospel, then we are also called into the community of that love as a way of life. It's the first part of that that I want us to think about here as I begin, the part about being called into the security of God's love. Go back in your Bibles, keep your Bibles open, you're going to want them. Go back in your Bibles or your phone, whatever you're using, to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Notice what Paul writes there. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul here is introducing a lengthy section from chapter 12 all the way through 16 in which he describes how we are to live in community with each other. Now, notice what he says. That He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That little word by in the Greek, it means by means of or through the mercies of God. In other words, God's mercies are the means by which we live the kind of transformed life that He calls us to. Live this kind of life by the mercies of God. By the help of, the strength of, the enablement of, the empowerment of the mercies of God. Now what are those mercies that Paul has in mind? Well, you'll notice in this verse, verse 1, he says what? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and by now you know the therefore points you back. And and what he's saying is, I, I appeal to you on the basis of what I have already said, which I'm now summarizing 
by the phrase, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you therefore by and because of the mercies of God that I've already been talking about to live this kind of life. Now the question is, what are the mercies of God that he's referring to? Well, it refers to all of chapter 1 through 11. Everything that has come before. Paul is in 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, Paul is expounding the mercies of God that are in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find, for example, in chapters 1 through 3, that we find out our need for the mercies of God because chapters 1 through 3 teach us that all of us are sinners. All of us are equally guilty. We stand on level ground with equal guilt in need of equal grace for, you can finish this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us does. Why do we need mercy? The mercies of God because we're sinners. Every single last human being other than Jesus who has ever lived. But then, verses, chapters 3 through 5 teach us. Just follow with me here. Chapters 3 through 5 teach us that God in Jesus has loved us so much that He has redeemed us through the cross. And He has justified us, forgiven us by grace alone. So we read in Romans 3 and 5, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the mercies of God. The mercy of justification. We are counted as if we've never sinned in the sight of God through Christ. The mercy of redemption. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. The, the mercy of acceptance with God. The mercy of peace with God. These are the mercies Paul has in mind. And we get to chapters 6 and 7. It teaches that God has buried our old life apart from Jesus. Aren't you glad? He's buried our old life and has made us alive in Christ and has empowered us to go to war with sin and to present ourselves as servants of righteousness for Jesus' sake. So we read in Romans 6, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. These are the mercies of God. I am not the man I used to be. I am not that man. That man is dead and buried. Dead and buried. I'm a new man in Christ. You're a new woman in Christ. Child, teenager, you have trusted in Christ. You're not the one you were born as. You're no longer spiritually dead. You're alive in Jesus. You're alive in Jesus. These are the mercies of God. And then chapter 8 is where God tells us how much He loves us. 
and tells us that He loves us with a love that cannot be beaten, cannot be overcome. So we read in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. These are the mercies of God, folks. And I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What what does Romans 8 mean? It means that no one can ever threaten you with exposure. It means that no one can ever say to you or to me, I know what you've done and wait till God finds out. Because God already knows it all. And Christ has already died for it all. And we have already been declared justified in the sight of God with a justification that is so sure and so certain that it can never be revoked. The highest court in all the universe and the highest judge in all the galaxies has already declared His verdict over us. Justified, forgiven, and accepted in my sight. And therefore, nothing can separate Him from my love. And then in chapters 9 through 11, our salvation is traced to the electing love of God, a choosing of us in love before time began, completely apart from anything we would ever do or believe on our own so that we would respond to Him in faith and in love by His sovereign mercy alone. Romans 9 says that we are the sovereignly chosen vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Do you hear all that? No wonder Paul finished out chapter 11 the way he did. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that it might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. These are the mercies of God that provoke in us worship and praise. And it's on the basis of all of that that Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, sisters, by these mercies of God to offer yourselves as a sacrifice to Him. You see, chapter 12, is based on chapters 1 through 11. Those chapters show us that if we believe in Jesus, we are the eternally chosen, blood-redeemed, born-again, justified, adopted, transformed, eternally loved children of God 
who cannot be condemned and cannot be lost and cannot be defeated and cannot be separated from the Father's love and cannot be overcome even by hell's evil or man's worst. Therefore, live a life that reflects the security you have in the love of God. Brothers and sisters, without Romans 1 through 11, you and I will never do Romans 12. We will not choose to love others in community unless we know first that God has chosen to love us. We will not love the unlovely and cherish the broken unless we know that God has loved and cherished us in all of our ugliness and our brokenness. We will not care for others unless we know that our Father has cared for us. We will not give ourselves to others unless we know God has given Himself for us. We will not be open and vulnerable with each other unless we know what it is to be safe emotionally and spiritually in the love of Christ. We will not love our enemies unless we know, as Romans 5 puts it, that even while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We will not share sacrificially with others unless we know that God has sacrificed everything to have us. We will not welcome others unless we know God has welcomed us. We will not forgive others unless we know God has forgiven us. We will not honor others unless we know that we are destined for glory. We will not show hospitality to others unless we know that God has opened wide His arms to welcome us and welcome all who will come to Him through Christ. We will not invite others who are different from us, even perhaps opposed to us. We will not invite them to sit at our table unless we know that God in His great mercy has invited us to sit at His table. We just sang it, right? By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near your enemy. Your enemy, you've made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness have no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. We will not seek peace with others unless we know that God has made peace with us. We will not weep with others, unless we know we have a weeping God who shares in our sorrows. We will not live in harmony with others, unless we know that God has moved heaven and earth to be in harmony with us. The gospel is the only foundation for community life. You cannot get there without traveling the path of the mercies of God. You cannot get to human community and love and fellowship and unity unless that unity is rooted in our security in the love of God through the gospel of His Son. And I need to pause. Because there are some here I know who are thinking, I have never tasted security in the love of God before. 
I don't know what that feels like. Oh, my friends, Jesus opens his arms wide to you. He says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You will find rest for your souls. He says, come to me. I, I, it is through my blood offered for you on the cross. It is through my resurrection through which I conquered death. It is through my spirit that I can change you and transform you and forgive you and draw you into the Father's love. Come to me, Jesus says. If you've never tasted the security of the Father's love, trust in Jesus right now. Don't wait. Just do it right now. Don't wait till the end of the sermon. Don't wait to talk to anyone. Right now, just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Redeemer. I need you because I need the love of God. I need to escape His wrath. I need to know His love. You can do it right now. You can, you, you can surrender to Christ right now. And, and be one of those people I talked about before. The old is buried, the new is begun. It's that simple. A sincere repentance from your life without God, a turning to Jesus and saying, be my Savior, be my King. Take me into the ocean of the Father's love. You can do that right now. May it be that God will so work in your life. And if you're a believer, well, I could end my sermon right here and just say, hey, here we are. This is the basis for it all. We're called to live in community, um, but we're not going to live in the community of God's love unless we know the security of God's love, the safety of that love, unless we're living gospel-centered lives. I, I tempted to quit but I need to add a couple thoughts. Um, when Paul is done unfolding these wondrous, rich mercies of God, and he gets around to telling us how we should then live in light of those mercies, it is significant that he says, not once and not twice, but three times in just a few verses that we are to love each other. We are to love each other. You find this in chapter 12 and verse 9 where he calls us to an authentic love. Let love be genuine. Don't let it be faked. Don't have ulterior motives. Don't fake it because you want something from others. Don't be in it for yourself. Be a genuinely loving person. Next, God calls us to an affectionate love. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. That could be translated like be lovingly drawn to brotherly love. 
This is an affectionate love. This, this means that Paul is saying to us under the inspiration of God that as you look around this room and, and you see all different kinds of people, you are called to love that brother, to love that sister as a brother with affection. No matter how different they are, no matter how obnoxious they are, no matter how troubling they are, no matter how whatever they are, they are your brother, they are your sister in Jesus, and you are to love them not just with that love of obligation that says, well, I'm going to do the nice thing, but with a love of affection that says, I am going to draw near to such a degree to these folks here that I'm going to feel that they are my brothers, they are my sisters in Jesus. There will be family and family in all the best ways and all the most beautiful ways that we will be bound together with affectionate love. And then, not only is there to be authentic and affectionate love, and I close with this, there is to be what I'm calling appointed love. What do I mean by that? Look at chapter 13 and verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, for the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Here's, here's what I mean by appointed love. Do you remember when Jesus issued this command and said it was the greatest of the commandments, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and there was a spiritual leader who asked the question, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then what parable did Jesus tell? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Think about the Good Samaritan. He was just kind of walking down the road, minding his own business, just doing his thing. And all of a sudden... He comes upon a man who's laying across his path, who's a complete stranger to him. And on top of that, he's, he's a Jew, not a Samaritan, so he's an enemy. And he's ethnically different. And Jesus tells us about how that Samaritan cared for that Jewish man who was in the road. And he took care of him and he led him to safety and led him to healing. And Jesus says that the Samaritan was neighbor to that man, that, that the neighbor was on the road and the neighbor was the one who cared for the man on the road. But here's the point. That was a divine appointment. God is the one who orchestrates, who decides who we are to love. What is a neighbor? A neighbor is anyone who crosses my path. A neighbor is anyone who is in need that I meet. Anyone. And so, God, who is the one who appoints our days, who guides our steps, God, who is the one who, it says in Acts 17, He gives us the boundaries and the habitations where we live. God is the one who, who has put us wherever we are and has created, therefore, neighbors for us. Those neighbors may not be of our choosing. 
Those neighbors may not be of our preference. Those neighbors may not be our kind or our type, but they are our neighbors appointed by God in our life. And we are to love them. So who are your neighbors? So who are your neighbors? Look around. Look around. These are your neighbors. Neighborhood extends to people on your block and the people that are in the cubicles next to yours at work and whoever you may cross paths with at the gym, whoever the cashier is at ShopRite that you see day after day, week after week. Your neighbor is whoever God appoints you to meet. We are called to a life of love, not just for those we choose. There's a sense in which we don't choose our friends. God chooses them for us. We don't choose our neighbors. God chooses them for us. And we are to love within the body of Christ. We are to love each other authentically. Let your love be genuine. We are to to love each other affectionately. Make sure that you love one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus. And we are to love one another with an appointed love. God has decided who he wants you to love this week. And the people who cross your path, they are God's appointed people for you. It is significant that when Paul begins to unpack what a, what a countercultural, non-conformist life looks like. Remember what he said in Romans 12? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may live a life that is, according, that is pleasing to God, acceptable to God. When Paul begins to unpack what this, this, this otherworldly, countercultural life looks like, he defines it in terms of love. Love. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks that that doesn't stay general and abstract. It gets very specific. Very specific. And you're going to have to come back to hear that. But don't leave here without first of all making sure that you are secure in the love of God in Christ. And without first having made a decision, child of God, that the love you have received is the love you're going to give. The love you have received is the love you're going to give. And if God works that in us, then God is going to build among us a sense and a culture of community that is going to bring great honor to him and great joy to us. Oh, Lord, please build the house or else we labor.